Why do we get stuck? Why do we still sin even after we're baptized or go to confession? In this episode, we will explore the different aspects of human brokenness and why we get stuck. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I am captivated with discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. In this episode, we're going to continue our series exploring this quote from Pope Benedict XVI. Healing is the entire content of our redemption when understood at a sufficiently deep level. My goal is to understand it at a sufficiently deep level. Our first uh, few episodes of Physically Spiritual, we oriented our mindset, our thinking uh, along the the lines of the church. We helped um, to understand our body and soul's intimate union and connection. We looked at creation and evolution. We looked at faith and reason. And then from there, we talked about some essentials to growth. And then since then, we've talked about what it means that God heals us, how God heals us by looking at different kinds of medicine. And then we talked about God's original design and God's ultimate plan for our life. So today we're going to shift gears uh, and get some of the bad news. But also in the bad news is uh, God's message of redemption, the good news. But before we get on to that, I want to remind you about the show notes. In every episode, I'm doing my best to give you uh, some top-notch notes. In there will be all the section headings with the timestamps, highlights from the episode, Uh, All the quotes that I give will be in the notes along with references and links to my articles at becominggift.com. So if you want to go deeper in any of these topics, go to my website, becominggift.com, and you can uh, dive into articles and further resources there. I also want to uh, just remind you that this, all this is made possible by the Awakened Nation, who are patrons of Awakened Catholic. If you have interest in joining the Awakened Nation, go to awakencatholic.org. When we consider why we get stuck, we have to think of ourselves as a whole person, body, mind, and soul. So what's happening spiritually is what we call sin. Sin is, uh, on one side, uh, a term that refers to uh, archery. In one of its earliest forms, it was used as a term for missing your target if you were shooting an arrow. So to sin was simply to miss the mark. Right? You're trying, you're trying to hit uh, to do something good, or you're mistaken about what, what you're trying to hit, maybe, but you just missed the mark somehow. Sin, from a theological perspective, is any offense against God, um, but sin also harms us. Paragraph 1853 of the Catechism says, The root of sin is in the heart of man in his free will. So the, the root of sin is deep within us. Uh, we, on a previous episode, talked about how sin was a symptom, um, and it's the result of this underlying brokenness, this underlying disorder, and then our behaviors are what's on the surface. They're the symptoms of this underlying disorder and brokenness in us. Uh, Catechism, paragraph 2563, tells us about what this heart is that sin comes out of. The heart is the dwelling place where I am, where I live. According to the Semitic or biblical expression, the heart is the place to which I withdraw. That that internal space, this is my words, this internal space 
uh, that only we can access that we can't share with, with anyone else fully. The heart is our hidden center, back to the quote, beyond the grasp of our reason and of others. Only the Spirit of God can fathom the human heart and know it fully. The heart is the place of decision, deeper than our psychic drives. It is the place of truth, where we choose life or death. It is the place of encounter, because as image of God, we live in relation. It is the place of the covenant. Uh, in, in the previous episode, we explored that we're created in God's image and likeness. And from this, we have free will and we have reason. And we're created to be a communion of persons. And it's from this that we're capable of covenant, this deeper kind of relationship of being self-gift. Um, like it says, we, we transcend our instincts, uh, our psychic drives, and can choose things um, for a higher good, for a transcendent good, uh, in light of spiritual truth. So this heart is where sin comes from. It's not just um, it's not just our desires. It's not just our uh, our our surface level decision making, but it flows out from the depth of us. And on uh, on the other hand, virtue also flows out from the depths of us. Uh, an ordered heart, a healed person, from that ordering, from that integrity, flows out virtue. So when we talk about sin. We have to understand that sin can both be mediated and immediate. What I mean by that is mediated means there's something that stands in between us and the sin. Um, so examples of mediated sin would be, for example, original sin. Uh, later on in the episode, we're going to talk about Adam and Eve and the effects of their original sin that last even to today. But then also generational sins, right? The only person that's truly perfect is God. Um, my parents weren't God and your parents aren't God. Um, so this means that every parent, every uh, grandparent, every great-grandparent has made mistakes. They've, they've sinned too. And we as their offspring are affected by that. So to recognize that we've been affected by our parents' sin isn't to blame them or condemn them. It's simply to recognize that they're human and we're human and that their faults have affected us. So we have these ways uh, that, that sin affects us through other people, right? It's not sin that we're directly responsible for, but we're also affected by immediate sin, right? Sin that we commit, that there's, there's nothing between us and it. it. In a fallen world, we're all victims, but we're all also perpetrators. So in a world of sin where none of us are perfect, we've all been harmed by others. We're all victims of other people's mistakes. And we're also all perpetrators. We've also all hurt other people. Hopefully not to the extent of breaking the law, but, but none of us looks back at their life without any sense of guilt and thinking that they have never hurt anyone else. So all of this sin leaves residue. It changes us. It's not like we just do it and then it passes away and it has no effect. But we believe that it actually changes our character. Right? The, the more we do something the more we're likely to do it again. Uh, in, our, in our physiology, this is the case. We, um, uh, there's a saying that neurons that wire together, fire together, or neurons that fire together, wire together, <laughs> meaning what's happening in your brain when it happens repetitively, the brain enters into this pattern. And it also happens in our body. We, we physiologically change to our behavior. So this happens spiritually too. We talk about virtue and vice. A, a good habit or a, a disposition toward the good um, 
an ordering toward the good that causes good action or a disordering toward the bad that causes harmful actions or unhelpful actions. So our sin leaves this effect. Sometimes this is called the temporal effect of sin, and um, we might also consider it a, a, a change in our affect, right? We've had an, an affection towards sin, an attraction towards sin. So this is why even though um, we might confess our sins to God or to a priest and they forgive us, um, we're not then made perfect. There's still this lingering effect. Another way it's been helpful for me to think of these uh, lingering effects of sins as wounds, as spiritual wounds. Um, and in our woundedness, we can make what are called inner vows, meaning I make an agreement, whether it's explicitly stated or not, to try to protect myself. The, the person, the human person, has a GPS that's set to survival. So regardless of what's happening, my body, my mind, my soul is going to instinctually move towards survival. Um, so when I encounter something that's difficult for me, that, that I'm being harmed by, that I'm being wounded by, I'm going to naturally react to that to try to avoid it, especially when I don't really understand what's happening, when I'm very young or it's beyond my understanding as to why it's happening. So we can make these inner vows when this happens. An inner vow might be something like, I'm never going to love again. I'm tired of getting my heart broken. It might be, I'm not going to ask for help because every time I ask for help, uh, no one's there to help me. It might be something like, um, like I'm never going to be vulnerable again. I'm never going to open up again because that person broke my trust. We make these internal agreements which, which bind us, which keep us in a place um, where we're stuck. So this is the, the first way we get stuck. This is a way um, that we get, we get damaged and ordered toward doing things that aren't healthy for us so we can sin spiritually. Another way that we can get affected is psychologically. Psychologically, we experience a trauma. So in us, our, our bodies actuate and move between a state of, of feeling safe and being able to rest and digest to a state of wanting to flee, right, wanting to run away, to a state of fighting, wanting to, to confront whatever's causing difficulty to a state of shutting down, almost like playing dead. Um, and this is natural that we move between these emotional states. And this is happening often without us even knowing it. Maybe you've been sitting somewhere and all of a sudden your legs start shaking, right? You experience this, uh, this shaking. Well, what's your body telling you? Your body is telling you it wants to move. It wants to get away. Um, maybe something happens, like you get cut off in traffic and you just get so angry you want to fight the person. The, the body is shifting into this fight mode as a reaction to what's happening around you. So these things that, that move us into these states, these survival places, um, like I said, they're natural, they're good, they're not bad. But what is not helpful is one that is either acute or chronic. When something is acute, it means it's beyond our capacity to handle, right? It's some kind of stress that we, we can't manage. Um, and so it can cause us to get stuck there. Like maybe we're part of, of a natural disaster or, or a car wreck or something. Um, a lot of people after a car wreck will experience days where they experience this kind of heightened discomfort. Right? They can't sleep. There's this, uh, this feeling of being stuck in that place of, uh, of trauma. And then on the other hand, it might be chronic. Chronic meaning it's ongoing. It's over a long period of time and you can't get away from it. And just not being able to get away from it itself can be a trauma. Um, 
So in these ways that either uh, these dangerous things, the things we perceive as dangerous, moving us into these survival states, if it's acute beyond our capacity to, to manage it, or if it's chronic, right, we get stuck in it over time. Either way, this causes psychological trauma. And a lot of times the story follows our state. So like I said, all of this is happening sometimes even without our awareness. So then what our mind does is our mind literally makes up a story to make it make sense. Uh, the brain is a sense-making machine, so it, it makes these connections. So oftentimes, um, I think the most common time this happens for me is when I'm driving, say somebody cuts me off in traffic, I know my mind will automatically create a story. My default is something like, oh, they're just a jerk, or they're being selfish, or they really need to watch out where they're going. Right? My brain automatically proposes a story to explain why now I feel unsafe, why I feel like I'm, I need to fight this person. Um, but then as I sit down and think about it, my, the better part of me might think, well, maybe they're in a rush, maybe they're late for work, or um, maybe they have a sick person and they're heading to the hospital. Even if it's unlikely, it still might be the case. The point is that, that our, our brains create these stories that explain the situation we're in. All of this, the, the, the trauma we experience, the wounds uh, we experience from our sin, and then the stories and the, the inner vows that we make to ourselves can bring us to a place where we're stuck, right? So like I said, moving between these states of fight, flight, and freeze back up to feeling safe and social, it's, that's natural. It, uh, any animal is going to phase between these things, but it's not healthy to get stuck in one of those states, Right? That's what ends up causing that, that trauma, the psychological trauma. Uh, so like I said before, the, the human person is always solving for survival. You can think of this like a, a GPS. And when we think of the, the physical side of us, our body, um, I've proposed before and discussed at some length how it could be the result of a biological process of evolution. So in light of this, um, I also talked about how God might use this process of evolution in his providence, right? They're not, it's not incompatible necessarily to believe in creation and evolution and that God might be involved in that process and actually use that process to create and to uh, accomplish his designs. But God uses this evolutionary process on a macro scale, on a large scale, not necessarily in all the individual aspects of our life. Right, so, so this biological process is solving for survival. And like I said, the, the system of our body is like a GPS. So this biological survival instinct is often surviving or is often solving for immediate survival, meaning it might accept a chronic issue to prevent an acute problem. An example of this um, is the phenomenon of uh, diabetes would be an example. So, um, so someone who's diabetic experiences elevated blood sugar, and normally the body creates a hormone called insulin that can uh, help utilize that, um, that energy and push it into the cells. And, and that, that storage of energy in your cells makes you gain weight over time. <laughs> uh, but what happens in people is they become insulin resistant. Um, so there's actually different theories as to why this happens, but the body escalates the production of insulin in order to move more and more sugar out of the blood. But then as there's more insulin in the body, the body 
responds less and less strongly to that same amount of signaling from the insulin. So the body experiences this resistance to insulin. Um, so what the body is doing is it's solving for an acute problem because high blood sugar could kill you very quickly and cause damage in your body very quickly. But on the other side, it's then causing a chronic issue because that chronic high insulin over a long period of time is causing slow, gradual damage in the body and more and more insulin resistance. And like I said, different scientists have different theories as to um, the mechanisms behind that insulin resistance. But this is just an example of how the, the body might choose an acute to solve for an acute issue, but cause a chronic issue in the, in the, the meantime. Uh, and this happens in a lot of different ways. Our evolutionary biology is very interested in keeping us alive to be able to reproduce and then raise offspring. This means if you just follow your instincts, um, all of your desires and whims, your body is going to be really good at keeping you healthy until you're like 20 or 30 years old. Um, but if you've just been following those impulses your whole life and not, um, not doing anything to try to be healthier, to give your body what it needs for longevity and not just its immediate needs, a lot of people experience in their 20s or 30s that their body starts to break down. They might, uh, might have one of these chronic illnesses or just feel more lethargic. And the reason for this, like I've talked about before, is this mismatch, right? Our, what, what the conditions that brought us to be what we are, that caused the development of the body over time, mismatch our current environment, the environment that we have. Um, one example of this mismatch that I haven't addressed before is light, right? I have a lot of light on me right now. Uh, the invention of the light bulb, obviously a great gift, causing safety outdoors, the ability to read indoors, um, there's, there's so many gifts that the light bulb brings us. But one of the things that the light bulb has caused is a, a detachment from our experience of light and the natural cycle of the sun and the moon. So if we were in a, in a wild environment, in a natural environment, um, we would experience light in the daytime, darkness at nighttime. Maybe some campfire or something in the evening would be kind of a soft, very red light. Um, and there's a lot of research that a blue light or a bright light actually interrupts our circadian rhythm, this rhythm of, of us needing sleep. So this is an example of how our environment is mismatched to the conditions that brought us to be what we are. And, and in the midst of that mismatches, that's a, a chronic issue over time, it causes this, this damage in our body, right? So chronically not sleeping um, is associated with like a 50% like a increase of our risk for things like cancer and heart disease and dementia. I mean, that's, that's a, a relative risk increase of 50%, not an absolute increase of 50%, but that's still a significant increase of, of all these disease processes just as a result of being chronically underslept. Um, so th this mismatch to our environment and our body causes this uh, continuous ongoing damage to our system. And um, sometimes we like to say, well, I'm just getting old. <laughs> Right? It's just a part of getting old, um, but it, it doesn't necessarily have to be the case. So I've given three examples of how we get stuck. Right? What are the things that are happening to us spiritually, psychologically, and physically that eventually lead us to a place where, where we don't feel free anymore, where we feel like we're, we're stuck in our circumstances or unable to be the people we want to be? We're sinning, and this is causing uh, a wounding in us. It's causing a progressive 
disordering in us to, to be attracted to the sin. We're also experiencing trauma. We're getting stuck in places where we feel unsafe, and uh, and we're we're creating these stories and inner lies and vows that that change our relationship to the world around us. And we're also experiencing this physical damage, right? We're we're mismatched to our environment. We're not making choices that are in our best interest for longevity, for a long, healthy, and happy life. And as a result, we we might feel great in the moment and sur- survive into our 30s or 40s, but ultimately the damage can lead to chronic disease and other issues. So we have these different causes. Um, in light of this kind of hylomorphic approach, personalistic body, mind, spirit approach to what makes us get stuck, I want to revisit the story of Adam and Eve. This is um, a beautiful story of our original creation, but then our eventual fall. We talked a little bit in the last episode about God's design, right? how God set up Adam and Eve uh, and designed them to be in his image and likeness. So uh, if you want to familiarize with yourself with that, I would encourage you to go back to that episode. But what happens when they sin? Right, This advent of brokenness. Adam and Eve are in the garden, and it says this, the serpent comes and it proposes to Eve, look at the fruit, it's good for eating. Uh, the serpent also says, God doesn't really want you to be like him, right? It's, from the beginning, it's a lie. Uh, we, like I said, we, we believe these lies inside our heart. God doesn't want you to be like him. It's absurd. From the very beginning, God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. Um, the very root of the idea of us was to be like God. Um, but it says that Eve looked at the fruit and realized that it was good for eating, right? She was drawn to it. There was something in her her body, her mind, her soul that was drawn to it, attracted to it because it was good. It just wasn't good for her. And when she eats the fruit, there's an interesting thing that happened. Immediately, Adam and Eve hide and they cover themselves with fig leaves. You could think of this as like the advent of the fight or flight reflex, um, so for the first time, they feel unsafe. They're no longer in harmony with the world around them, with nature. They're no longer in harmony with each other. And then they also experience God as dangerous. And it's interesting, when God comes into the scene, he asks the question, where are you? We believe God is omniscient, meaning he's all-knowing. Um, he knows where Adam and Eve are. But he's asking them because he wants them to reflect on what's happened. Not physically, where are you in the garden, but what's happened to your inside, right? This disorder, this breaking of the harmony in them that results in this need to hide, right? So we could say that they've sinned and then they've experienced the wound of original sin. And as a result of that wound, they've lost grace, right? They're no longer capable of receiving the grace that they were receiving before. They've also been traumatized by their action, right? They experience this fight or flight reaction, and then they get stuck. And it's also changed their relationship with their body, right? They're, they're hiding their body. They're, uh, they're, they have a need to cover for protection from the natural elements and from one another. So this, there's a physical, spiritual, and psychological effect to this original sin. So let's take a moment and look at the effects of this sin. A lot of times people couch these as punishments. And it's true that there's, I think, a punishment side to the way that God reacts to their sin. But it's not punishment like a judge. It's punishment like a parent, a loving parent who upholds consequences to their children's actions so that they can grow. 
Um, so ultimately, the effects of the original sin are redemptive, right? God's allowing these things to happen, imposing these things on them because it's actually in their best interest. So let's take a look at what happens. Um, maybe on, first on the surface, although not temporally, they're, they're sent out of the garden, right? They're expelled from the garden and there's an angel place to guard the garden so that they can't return, right? We might see this as a great punishment that, that they no longer have access to the tree of life, or the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, or all the fruit of the garden, uh, the, the security that was there. But let's consider it from another angle. As a result of their sin, their intellect is weakened or darkened, and their will is weakened, and they now experience brokenness in their relationships, one of the, the things that God says has happened that, that your he tells Eve that your desire will be for your husband and his desire will be to dominate you, right? You're still made for communion, but you're going to experience this brokenness in relationships. So we have to work on our relationships for them to be healthy. And on, on the other hand, there's this experience of a loss of what some people call the preternatural gifts, meaning now they no longer have the gift of, um, of not corrupting. They no longer have the, the gift of not dying. They also now don't have the strength to overcome all their impulses, all their natural desires uh, that might draw them away from uh, God's design. And they don't have the same kind of supernatural connection and knowledge of God. Right? They, they've lost um, these preternatural gifts. Like I said before, these preternatural gifts are just one uh, way of understanding Adam and Eve's state in the garden, but not the official doctrine of the church. Um, so in light of the loss of these gifts, the disordering of their person, I would propose to you that the garden actually becomes dangerous, right? What would it be for them to be in a place where you just have unlimited food and no need to ever work? Have you ever been in a place like that? Um, maybe, uh, actually some elements of our society, we, we, I think, restore things like the Garden of Eden without reclaiming the virtue and order that Adam and Eve had in the garden. One example would be a buffet, right? You have more food than you could ever eat there, and you can just eat as much as you would like. How often have you went to a buffet and without any effort, simply ate what was healthy for you and an amount that you thought was appropriate? Right? No, no, it's so easy in that environment to overeat and to eat things that aren't healthy for us because there's no boundaries that help our will. Similarly, if Adam and Eve were left in the garden, you know, maybe they would have developed diabetes from overeating the fruit. Um, fructose in the human body can have significant impact on your internal organs. It's one of the most damaging things to eat in excess of. Um, so it really wasn't in their best interest to be left in the garden once they were no longer in harmony with nature. I would propose that these other effects of sin are actually means of redemption. So Adam is told that now you have to work for the food you're going to eat. Um, after a good day of work, don't you feel good? I mean, after sitting around for weeks, isn't there a, a feeling after a while that you just want to get back to work, that you want to be productive again? There's something redemptive about labor. There's something so fulfilling about creating something that's substantive and meaningful. Um, and it's from this labor that then we're able to eat, right? We're able to earn either currency or have things to barter or grow our own food. And so there's this, this process of being connected to our food 
by having to labor for it that actually helps us to keep a right relationship with food and uh, a right relationship with work. Um, Eve experiences increased pain in childbearing. There's this order in the fallen world where an imposition of life uh, has with it suffering. So, so in the female body, there's this suffering on her fertility cycle. Notice it doesn't say that the suffering started with the fall. Right? It, it, it says that it's increased with the fall, that there's this increase of pain in childbearing. So this experience of bringing life into the world, having some level of suffering. Uh, the men aren't left off the hook. There's actually um, some theologians think a connection between this need for, for suffering in the physical body and redemption, and then the later prescription of circumcision for the, the men of the chosen people. That while the woman hold the, the sign of, uh, of the fall and the covenant in their childbearing, the men eventually hold the sign in their circumcision. Um, so there's a deep, intimate connection between suffering and life. Um, as we've said before, grace flows through wounds. I think I originally heard that um, phrase from Christopher West. But after the resurrection, Jesus' wounds are not taken away. They're still there. And grace flows through those wounds to us. So in the same way, grace can flow through our wounds in light of our redemption to help other people too. Um, so these are all the effects that happened from their sin. Their will is, is weakened. Their mind is darkened. They experience this disruption in their communion with each other, with nature, and with God. Um, they, they no longer have the gift of living forever. They experience their passions as unruly. There's now this disordering in them that draws them to what's not good for them. They have to work for their food, and they experience this pain in bringing life into the world. Um, like I said, we have to, to couch these things in a way to understand them in, in a, the love of a parent who's lovingly guiding their child into a place where they're safe and into a place where they're flourishing. All right, so let's fast forward and come to the present day again. And let's ask the question, why am I still stuck, right? Personally, what's going on for me? Here's what Catechism paragraph 405 says. Although it is proper to each individual, original sin does not have the character of a personal fault in any of Adam's descendants. It is a deprivation of original holiness and justice. But human nature has not been totally corrupted. It is wounded in the natural powers proper to it, subject to ignorance, suffering, and the dominion of death, and inclined to sin, an inclination to evil that is called concupiscence. So what's this saying? This is saying that we're not personally responsible for the sin of Adam and Eve, but this doesn't mean that we're not affected by it. Right? The effects of that sin are mediated to us in that we experience this human condition, this broken human condition. Um, so as a result, we have a wounded nature. It, it's not a completely corrupted nature. right? Our, our ability to reason isn't obliterated and free will isn't completely done away with, but it is darkened meaning I, I neither understand things perfectly, nor do I have perfect power of will to do everything that is best for me in every situation. So we have this inclination toward evil we call concupiscence. I like to think of this as like a negative spiritual gravity. It pulls us down. And what it means in practical terms is if we're not putting any effort into getting better, into being healthier, we don't just stay, in, we don't just stay the same. We're not in stasis. There's actually this... Uh, 
negative force that pulls us down to lesser and lesser and lesser things. You've probably experienced this um, in your own body. Maybe there was a time in your life when you were very active. Maybe you were an athlete or something. And so you did a lot of exercise. And then you stopped exercising or you stopped doing something that led you to be healthy. And you didn't just stay where you were. You didn't just stay as healthy where you were or weighing as much as you did. You actually slowly got less healthy over time, right? You didn't, get, you didn't stay there. So this is an analogy for what's happening to us spiritually. Oftentimes, um, I think what awakens us to this reality is um, we do something that we told ourselves we would never do, right? At some point in our life, you might have said to yourself, I'll never do that, or, or I never, I never, uh, they just never will do that in my whole life, right? You make this promise to yourself, but then maybe you've had the experience that you do do it, that you get to a place Maybe after a weekend um, of partying or something, and you look back and you think, oh my gosh, did that just happen? All right, what happened between point A and point B is your character has changed. There's been this accumulation of, of spiritual wounds, psychological trauma, damage to your body, um, and you've gotten to a point where you, your will has been diminished more and more and more and more to the point where now you've become a person who does do that, whatever it is. Right? So we experience this draw to lower and lower and lower things. Uh, so here's to the end of that quote from Catechism 405. Baptism, by imparting the life of Christ's grace, erases original sin and turns a man back toward God. But the con consequences for nature, weakened and inclined to evil, persist in man and summon him to spiritual battle. So Baptism does heal original sin. It does take away whatever guilt we have. And also, baptism has the power to forgive all of our actual sins. But there's still this corruption in nature that persists. Like I said, we, we experience these attachments that draw us to sin, that lead us to sin. So the consequences in our nature persist. And I would propose that these consequences also persist when we go to confession or when we repent in some other way. right? So, so when we convert, when we have this experience of turning back to God, whether an initial conversion or a later conversion, no matter how profound or, or how mundane it might seem, we don't start at zero, right? We don't start at neutral. Uh, we come to this life of discipleship with all of our experiences, with the accumulation of wounds from generations before us, with the trauma we've incurred through our life, with the habits we've built, and with the damage to our body. And all of this contributes to us at times being stuck. Uh, here's a quote from Pope Francis. He wrote a, a beautiful document called Rejoice and Be Glad, and it's on the spiritual life. He says, think of your own history when you pray, and there you will find much mercy. This will also increase your awareness that the Lord is ever mindful of you. He never forgets you. So it makes sense to ask him to shed light on the smallest details of your life, for he sees them all. God sees us from the perspective of his eternity. He sees us from the perspective of all the generations that went before us and in light of everything that will also come after us. Right? All of time is an eternal now to God. So he sees 
every detail of our life, including that inner heart, right? that deepest motivation. He sees it all. We don't. We have limited understanding even of ourselves. Um, so in light of that, we need to enter into our story, enter into that history with the Lord, and also I would propose with the help of others uh, in some way, um, and in that receive God's mercy. Right? We're going to be both healed in supernatural ways where God's going to enter in and, and cure us, going to enter in and change us and transform us. And we're going to experience that. We can expect the Lord to heal us. But God's also going to come alongside our will and build us up and strengthen us and accompany us as we go through a natural healing process, uh, guiding our journey and giving us strength to make the good decisions. Um, at the end of that quote from the Catechism, it says that this journey, um, when the sin persists in man, it summons him to a spiritual battle. We're really in, in the spiritual battle. Um, and, and I say that not um, to point the finger at some unknown spiritual enemy, but it's true. We are affected by negative spiritual forces. Uh, we might call them demons, fallen angels. Um, but these demons don't often come to us in ways that are really obvious. Right? Our enemy works best from hiding, works best when, when it's not obvious. Um, so a lot of times, the temptation we experience, these small proposals to do what's unhealthy for us, to do something too much or too little, the wrong time, the wrong place, in the wrong way, these proposals are in the midst of our instincts and in the midst of, of all the struggles we have. Here's part of the good news. The enemy is not omnipotent. The enemy is not all-powerful. The enemy is not a rival to God, and the enemy is not all-knowing. So this means the enemy can only affect certain parts of your life, where, the, where God can be a part of all of you and know everything about you. This also means that when the enemy attacks you, it's strategic. Uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola, in his discernment of spirits, uses the image of the enemy as an invader of a castle, whom observes the weak point of the wall and then attacks that weak spot. But the enemy also attacks us in a way to try to thwart God's plan, to try to thwart God's providence. So it's our blessings that reveal our calling, but it's also our wounds that recall, reveal our calling. Right? There's, there's been this providence of God to lovingly lead your life uh, toward your perfection, toward your greater glory. But there's also been this, this um, organized negative spiritual attack on your life to try to suppress that plan. So the ways that we're wounded, the ways that we've been traumatized, actually can reveal to us the ways that God is planning to bless us and to have us build his kingdom. We're going to explore more about this reality in later episodes, but I want to leave you with that good news. Your wounds, your trauma, don't disqualify you from building the kingdom. Right? This is one of the, the beautiful uh, pieces of logic and discoveries in the 12-step movement. Right? The 12-step is... To, to share the message with other people. So people who are alcoholics, for example, once they've recovered, they become sponsors for other people. And it's their very firsthand experience with the disease, their experience of healing from it, and then living a life without it, which makes them ultimately qualified to walk other people through the journey. Uh, so the Lord is inviting us into this deep healing journey with him. 
through our wounds, through our trauma, through the damage, um, so that we, as an integrated whole, can be ordered towards his design, his logos, the natural law, and more and more and more give our life to him and become a true gift. Thanks for watching this episode of Physically Spiritual. If you're watching the show on YouTube, make sure to press the like button, subscribe to the Awakened Catholic YouTube channel, and turn on the bell notifications so that you can find out when new episodes are released. Also, it's super helpful if you could leave a review for the podcast on iTunes or your podcast player. At Awakened Catholic, we're dedicated to bringing people to truth through beauty. This show and all the shows here on Awakened Catholic are only possible because of people like you. You can become a part of what makes this all possible by making a tax-deductible donation for as little as the price of a cup of coffee a week. To join the Awakened Nation, visit awakencatholic.org forward slash join.